Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Fin TV. Today we're joined by again by Roddy Martin, who you guys might have seen before uh, as part of Fin TV. Uh, Roddy is digital strategy leader at Tracelink. Uh, Roddy, thank you so much for joining us again. It's a pleasure, Maria. And uh, the last session was really well done, so I look forward to another really good session. Great. Well. You know, you and I were chatting sort of before we hit record about uh, so much that is being talked about in terms of COVID-19. And I don't I don't really want to go into too much COVID-19 because hopefully uh, we will be out of this situation at some point in the near future. And uh, I think I'd like to talk in general about how supply chains can be built to be resilient for any kind of crisis, uh, pandemics, crisis, whatever issues. Would you agree? Yeah, and it's a it's a very relevant topic because you know when uh, you know a year ago when all our supply chains were clicking along, we were measuring all the good traditional supply chain stuff. How much does it cost, and are all customers getting what they wanted, and uh, you know how efficient and what asset utilizations. And along comes COVID, and everything changes. You know, and as I was talking to you, you know, you have a situation of a country where they're flying in, you know, personal protection equipment and it's literally being offloaded off planes and shipped up to where it's being used because they're worried about it being hijacked and stolen. Well, guess what? That's a completely new set of measurements. So, so what COVID has been, and I won't talk about COVID again because we're in it, you know, it's reality. It's, it's really shone a light on what we need to manage and measure in our supply chains. And the fact is, once you start measuring something, it can change overnight based on the circumstances that the supply chain and the business are in. But you, you've talked about that, about how supply chain measurement has always been fundamental to uh, uh, you know, these functions and capabilities. Um, what, what about um, things like uh, costs, asset utilization, efficiency? What's changed with that? Yeah, you know, and that's the way supply chains were always measured. I mean, it was always a very, what I would call a supply-centric set of measures, finance-orientated. What we did was, uh, you know, we said we've got X number of manufacturing facilities and partners, and we make X amount of stuff because then our costs of goods are, you know, unit costs are the lowest. Uh, we ship them out and we rely on sales to sell them. Well, it, the world just doesn't work like that anymore. So, What's changing is not just the measurement of the utilization of assets and the cost of a, of a unit. It's now whether anybody's buying it. You know, I've spoken many times about the moments of truth. I mean, you get influenced by the internet. Uh, you see a promotion, you walk to a shop or you go online and you expect to find what you want. So it's now being driven by demand, not by supply. And so what you measure uh, really, you know, all that counts is did the customer get what they wanted? Did the patient go into a retail pharmacy and get the prescription or did they have to come back three times because the pharmacy wasn't able to fulfill it? Um, so, so the world has changed in terms of uh, pushing supply and, and keeping the patient and the customer happy. And that's a fundamentally different kind of set of requirements. I mean, my, the, one of the most uh, 
um, sort of interesting and relevant examples of this is when I was doing work with Procter and Gamble, they used to say, look, it doesn't matter whether the product left the plants on time. If it wasn't on the shelf when the customer went to buy it on the shelf, then it has nothing else count. So customer, self, uh, customer service levels and on-shelf availability is all that really counts. And, and the point is, you know, you will say, well, you know, how much does a filler operator or a packaging operator get to see on-shelf availability? Well, they don't because they're living in manufacturing plants. But um, everybody has their own little metrics that need to be aligned in order for that shelf, that product to be on the shelf when it's needed. So a filler operator who suddenly gets a demand change and says, hey, you know, you need to uh, do 30% more filling than what you what you plan to do. Well, that's your metric and that's what they need to see. But the, the CEO of the company, when they get a phone call from some big retailer that says, hey, you know, you only delivered half of what you were supposed to deliver. And this is the third time you've done it. What's going on? Well, that's what the CEO cares about is customer service levels and on-shelf availability. So, so the point that we made before in our little discussion before the call was, you know, leaders have to make sure these metrics are aligned. It doesn't help that the top of the organization is looking for one set of performance numbers and people down in the depths of the organization doing real work are measured by other numbers and there's no alignment between the two. And, you know, what you see up at the uh, at the back of my of my image on my screen is a triangle. And those of you who have ever read the, the very uh, well read and, and very credible report called the AMR uh, hierarchy of supply chain metrics. And I was actually part of the team that built that. And under Deb Hoffman, what we went, uh, went out and we benchmarked 50, 60 manufacturing companies. And we looked for the interdependencies between all the metrics. And what we found out that there's very clear alignments and interdependencies between all the things that measured in the supply chain. So the reason I put that triangle up there is right at the top is demand forecast accuracy. Because guess what? If you get your demand forecast wrong, is a really good chance everything else is, is wrong because the demand forecast says to planning, tell manufacturing to make 100 because we need 100. Well, if manufacturing go make 20, there's going to be 80 short. Or if they make 200, there's going to be 100 extra. So, so you've got to get at the top of this hierarchy of supply chain metrics, if you go and read it, you've got to get demand forecast accuracy right. Now, just getting that right uh, is absolutely critical in a VUCA world, right? Because in a VUCA world, you can think, well, you know, I was sort of uh, um, estimating that we, we would have a 60% penetration with this new product in the marketplace. Along comes VUCA and you've got an over-demand for a constrained supply and you've got more people asking for PPEs than, than what is available. So now suddenly, you know, you don't have a chance to demand forecast accuracy. You, you kick over into allocation. You say, well, we've got two boxes. Who are we going to give these two boxes to? Because, uh, you know, there's, there's demand for about a thousand boxes. So, so suddenly all your traditional supply chain metrics go out of the window. Well, I, I would add something else to that, which is it's not like we even have historical figures that you can base things in on, right? So we're in a VUCA world right now. So it's not like you can even rely on last year's measurements or last year's metrics for figuring out demand. We're, we're right. in a, you know, we're in uncharted territory here. Well, and, and along comes, you know, in a VUCA world, all sorts of political, geographic and power play forces, right? So, 
So if you're in a country and you're allocating PPEs to different parts of the country and some state governor or some you know, uh, leader comes along and says, hey, you know what, uh, I need 20% more than you've allocated. Well, who are you going to rob to pay to give the extra 20%? Or you know, China and India say, well, there's this massive demand suddenly on acetaminophen and uh, you can't find Tylenol on the shelves and they've stopped exporting it because 80% of it's made in China and India. Or uh, you know, products are made in the U.S. and we're not letting anybody else have them because we need them. So, so you, you know, in a VUCA world, everything is up for grabs. And this is where leaders and the supply chain have to get in a huddle and decide how are we going to work our way through this? We can't, you know, go run around like chickens without heads and just mad scramble and try and fix little problems here and there. What is the systematic approach we're going to take to how do we allocate? What are the key measures? How we're tracking and tracing. I had a very interesting call from, from a young lady who was doing, um, you know, in a country was doing this distribution of PPEs. And she said, well, where should we have visibility of these PPEs as they're flying out from China and they're landing in this country and being distributed? And I said, everywhere. She said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, you may have four crates on the plane. And when they arrive in your country, uh, three crates are going to be the original product. One crate is going to be counterfeit and another crate snuck off and is going to get sold on the black market. And she was like, wow, I never thought about that. So, so suddenly, you know, and not everything is PPE, right? We're not going to serialize and track and trace everything, which is, you know, in, in with the TraceLink's game is serialization and tracking and tracing of, of regulated pharmaceutical products because bad people snuck things in and it's counterfeits and it's diversions, et cetera. But, but the point is not everything needs to be serialized, but everything we do need to know where everything is at different stages of the supply chain because supply chain leaders aren't magic. They can't just guess and rub a crystal ball and say, well, if four crates pallets got shipped from China, that means four pallets are going to arrive at the point of destination and be handed out to all the users. That's not real anymore. It's not a real world. So, uh, you know, bad people are coming out of the woodwork. And, and I think, you know, the most important point is just to take a step back and reflect on what's the leader's role uh, when, when, we, when our businesses kick into this kind of VUCA, uh, VUCA operating model, which says we're in crisis, we've got to do the best possible. There's no perfect answers, we've got to do the absolute best we can. And I think the leadership taking charge and putting in place a business continuity plan, driving alignment across the business so you don't have one part of the business doing one thing and the other part of the business set, chasing another set of priorities. So, so systematic um, measurement plan, visibility plan, business continuity plan, escalation plan, governance plan. You know, it's a big mouthful of stuff. These are great sounding words and you don't just put this together in a, in a nutshell. You know, John Chambers, who used to be the, the chairman of Cisco, says, you know, why do you only build these crisis plans when a crisis happens? You should have a continuous crisis plan ticking away in the background with a team that's ready to roll at any moment's notice because we know that disruptions are getting more global and more frequent as we, as we live our lives. And so you don't have to start looking for people and a plan. They're there. Just kick it and switch it on and say, we're working to this plan now. It's a different let style me, of leadership. Let me take you back to something you said at the beginning, which is uh, the old supply chain, because I think the world is divided now into post 
COVID, pre-COVID, you know, this is definitely a, a world-defining crisis. So let's go pre-COVID. You talk about the leadership of businesses or supply chains being very much uh, measuring or financially measuring everything, right? So based right. on financial metrics, how easy or how difficult, how easy or how difficult is it for leaders to pivot, to really change to their mindset to working in this fashion in the it's new world? It's, that's a, a fantastic question. And it's a very, very pertinent one because I'm a filler operator or a packaging operator. And I've been told that I measure uh, I'm measured on doing, you know, 10,000 containers a shift. Now, along comes a fundamental change in plans, and suddenly you ask the um, this operator to do half of what they were doing because there isn't the demand for the whole amount. So, so the longer that it takes the leadership to filter down these changes to metrics based on outside-in demand changes the more dysfunctional business is going to be. And that's a really, really important point. If the filler operator or the packaging operator says, you know what, our demand has changed by 50%. I've got to slow everything down. Um, and, and now I'm going to focus on, you know, making 50%. And then I'm just going to let the plant idle. I'm not going to carry on making the extra 50% because it's going to get wasted. It's going to go and sit in inventory somewhere in the system. So, so the point is, the crux is alignment of the metrics when the business demand changes and the translation all the way down through the layers of the business. And the more succinctly you do that, the more clearly roles are defined, the quicker and the more agile an organization is. Because you said it, you used the word resilience at the beginning, right? It doesn't help when you find out five weeks after that there's a shortage on the shelf, you only find out about it when you're doing your packaging plans. It's too late. Somebody's bought all your competitors' products because yours weren't available. But if I know immediately, and you know, let's not get hung up on real time, right? Real time, I'm an engineer. Let's not talk about nanosecond real time. But I need to know within a couple of shifts what has changed and what am I expected to do differently in the next couple of days because the marketplace has changed. If I get that alignment, I'm resilient because if there's a sudden bump in demand or if there's a sudden shock on the supply side and a, and a supplier disappears off the map, um, we've got to be able to stand back and, and, and come back punching. We can't just uh, roll over and say, oh my gosh, I've just lost a supplier. Now I can only supply half of my stuff to all, you know, all my customers. So resilience is all about having codified best practices, having clear roles and responsibilities, having aligned metrics and measures from the top of the organization to the bottom of the organization, and making sure that we're communicating to all those levels so that when a change kicks in, they immediately know what's expected of them. And they are, believe me, whilst this may sound like motherhood and apple pie to a lot of people out there listening to this, there are companies that operate in this way. The Apples, the Procter & Gambles, the SAB Millers of the world, this is how they operate. So you've given great examples of people that can do that. What are the challenges to businesses today trying to shift to this type of working? Visibility and an outside in demand forecast accuracy. That's why I said at the, at the top of that hierarchy of supply chain metrics, is demand forecast accuracy. I mean, if the if the leadership team has nothing except metrics to keep plants full, keep costs low, and utilize assets, then that's what they're going to do because they don't have any visibility of, of demand. But if they have demand, 
And this is why sales and operations planning and integrated business planning have become the sort of the holy grail of any manufacturing and supply chain operation, because what are you doing in integrated business planning? You're looking at the demand, you're looking at what's changing, you're looking at supply and what you're capable of delivering, and you're matching them. You're saying, you know, there's no ways, if you say the demand is five, we've got demand to make one. There's no, we've got to do something different. What trade-offs are we going to make? Are we going to tell the other four customers, sorry, we can't deal with you, or are you going to ramp up four additional suppliers to make sure you can meet the demand of five? And so that is exactly why integrated business planning has become the holy grail of any business, is matching supply and demand and making the right business trade-offs. And that's the leadership role. Now you hear so many companies say, well, our IBP process, we've been trying to get it right for the last five years and it doesn't work. You know why? Because they spend half of their time working with inaccurate information. There's different visibility on the demand side, different visibility on the supply side. There's you know different versions of you know how much it costs and how much it doesn't cost. And so how do you expect leaders to sit in and make sense of a meeting like that? You know, they just don't come back to the meeting and you don't get them back because it's just a bun fight. Uh, when you have like uh, Samsung uh, Electronics in Seoul, and I've actually sat in their meetings, when they have accurate visibility of demand, they have accurate visibility of supply, the leaders, business leaders are leading the SNOP process. They're saying, ah, oh, we got demand has gone up, so supply, can we meet that? They make those decisions instantaneously and they're executed. There's rooms full of people who are in the execution process because if you're not executing against those integrated business plans, why are you doing it in the first place it's you make it sound so simple Roddy you make it sound <laughs> so simple it actually is <laughs> you know, but we're involving people and that's what makes it difficult so do you think that the biggest challenges are I'll add to that because you said visibility and demand forecasting accuracy I would add to that that's also a mindset issue of course. Uh, and people it no I and look I'm not downplaying that I'm saying it's probably the most important by the way because if you go into, it, it's funny, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched the video, The Smell of This Place. If you haven't, it's done by an Indian who was a professor at the London School of Economics. And he says, when you walk into a manufacturing company, there's a smell to the place. And that's the point you're making, right? You can smell that this company is geared and ready to go, or you can smell that this company, people are at work because they have to be at work and they're just trudging along and getting things done. It's that's that's how leadership. That's why there's leaders, and that's why there's laggards, is because the leaders galvanize culture and a will to get this done. And even in a VUCA scenario, they're going to make this stuff work. Given hell or high water, excuse the expression, it rolls down from the top. It's cultural, but yes, it it, it does start with leadership, attitude, and and a will to win. Okay, so we, so we need the leaders to get involved and understand that they need to drive demand forecasting accuracy. They need to change from their financial metric mindset, call it, uh, to more of a, uh, a flexible mindset. They need to filter that down to their staff, to their all, all the layers of everything. Uh, all In the an aligned way. Down. In, in an aligned way. way. I mean, how many people have heard of RACI, right? There's a, every company, you walk in the door and you say RACI, you know, roles and uh, clear roles and definitions, roles, responsibility. And everybody says, yeah, we've done RACI. And I said, well, do you use it? Well, not really. That was, so that's the problem. 
So you don't have aligned roles and responsibilities all the way from the top to the bottom. You can't just blame this on leaders. What you, what you have to do is blame it on the performance management process because what is happening is these changes to the outside of the organization are not being translated down to people who are doing day-to-day -day jobs. Look, they can only do what they know what they're going to do. And if you don't tell them to do something different, how do you expect them to, to smell that they need to do it differently? So, so there's the culture there's the role of leadership, there's the role of supply chain, and there's this aligned set of metrics that starts off with demand forecast accuracy and it goes all the way back to supply. You, you know, we spoke about demand forecast accuracy and visibility, that's only a small portion of this problem. What if I can't even produce my supply reliably? What happens if, you know, half of everything coming out of my manufacturing facility is not to specification? Well. You know, I can have the greatest demand forecast accuracy and visibility in the world, but if I can't supply product, then the, the supply chain in the business falls over. So it's it's a triage of these very important factors. And, and this is why the supply chain leader has bubbled up to the top and is standing on the bridge of the ship with the rest of the leadership team, because it's, you know, steer left, steer right, go fast, go slow. Uh, that's how fast we have to teach our businesses to be responding. And, and you know, the base capability of being agile, you know, if you're going to take a knock, you're going to get it wrong once in a while, get up and start fighting again. And, and that, that's a measure of, of the resilience of organizations going forward. Let's talk about some of the technology that's out there for uh, demand forecast accuracy. Uh, what's your view on the use of AI, machine learning? Uh, what's your view in general? And, and do you think it's something that can be implemented quickly? Wow, you spoiled it all by saying quickly. Um, <laughs> the answer is it's absolutely applicable, right? The, the problem, the, the, the challenge, because it's not a problem, it's a challenge. Challenge is there's tons of data on the demand side of any business. There are people making comments about your products on Facebook and Twitter and all sorts of stuff, right? The question is, how do you aggregate that and mine it to get insights that says to the business, you know what, people really like green Guinness on St. Patrick's Day, but if I give them green Guinness at, on Christmas Day, they're probably not going to want it. So, so the point is, you've got to get, get hold of these insights and translate them through the planning process into making the right product. So we're not making green Guinness at Christmas time, right? To use a, a simple example. So, so the point is, that's where the big AI machine learning opportunity is gonna come from, is aggregating this data. And now using machine learning and, and artificial intelligence, augmented analytics as Gartner calls it, to build models around this data. Because remember a lot of that data, if you're in the healthcare space is personal patient data and you can't just go and start mining patient data because it's, there's all sorts of privacy laws. But if, you, but if you build models around demand and build models around what's driving demand, then you can use artificial intelligence to find questions and spot trends that you never even knew you had. So now I'm gonna to get to the little word called quickly. In order to do this quickly, you have to have people who understand the problem and you have to have leaders that are prepared to invest in this capability because you don't wake up tomorrow and say, 
oh, let's take all the you know demand insights on from all the pharmacies and hospitals and and figure out where what product needs to go. This is a a couple of years worth of development. It's very sophisticated tools like era technologies and Terra. These are not just databases. These are not just conventional analytics tools. Um, but the but the the CEO also has a, an important role to play, and that is. What is it that I'm trying to build? You see, the problem is when the CEOs and the C-level don't understand what this technology is all about, they, they invest for two years and they say, well, what are we getting out of all this investment? Because I don't see the answers coming out. The, 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 the expectations are unrealistic. So that little word called quickly, you have a massive awareness and an education campaign to get the business leadership team who are not IT and analytics specialists to understand them what is this all about and what's the potential value to the organization? What are the risks to the organization and what sort of investments do we have to make? Because by the way, we're probably gonna go have to, uh, to recruit a whole new set of talent in the organization because this is not, you know, with respect, I'm sure there are lots of 55 year olds that get this really solidly, but that's not where the future leaders in AI and machine learning and augmented intelligence are gonna come from kids of 22 to 30 years old today. Mm. Let's talk about digital transformation because pre-pandemic, it was uh, the phrase du jour, uh, digital transformation, uh, transforming the business into digitization, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that there is any room for discussion on digital transformation anymore? Um, what, I, what I mean by that is, isn't it a must? Isn't it obvious that we must transform? At the highest level, yes. The question is, where do you start, right? I mean, I don't want to spend, I don't want to start plugging in all sorts of little digital initiatives to the business to, to be able to say to my investors, hey, I'm doing digital because look at all my digital projects. It starts off with a very interesting uh, um, sort of set of leaders who really need alignment. You've got four really important leaders around this digital transformation. First of all, um, you know, just about every company has spent hundreds of millions, if not billions, on an ERP system, and they've got to maintain that. It's not going to go away with digital. It runs the business. And so you have to bring the IT team, leadership team, into this digital transformation. Second piece is you've got the supply chain leader who lives with paper-based systems, emails, databases, you know, inaccurate data, one not more than one version of the truth. They want to digitize the business operating model. Take these lead times and all of these processes and let's figure out what can we digitize to be way more efficient and way more effective. But then you've also got the business who says, look, I mean, this is not a, I'm not giving you an open checkbook to go and digitize the whole business. I mean, you know, we've we got to, we got to meter the spend. We've got to map a transformation journey for this whole business out. Uh, we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, and, and then you've got change management and talent and all the other parts of business. So this is a very delicate balance. When you say, let's digitally transform the business, we are, what are we going to do with IT? How are we going to change our work practices? What is the business vision about what we're going to look like in the future? And how is the supply chain end-to-end going to digitize the operating model? That is not a trivial meeting. That is a pretty serious leadership alignment process. So, but it has to happen. 
You can't just say, well, it's difficult and I'm not going to get an answer. You've got to start making these discussions happen. And I think the one good thing about this pandemic is it's shone a light on what can we do digitally because my gosh, all this paperwork and lack of visibility has really cost us in this process. Well, that, that's kind of what I was alluding to, which is I don't think organizations really have much choice for a post-COVID world. You're going to need it to have a lot of digital operations happening within your business so that you gain that visibility so that you're able to predict that kind of demand. Uh, but let me ask you a question because you just brought up a great point. Opportunities. Uh, what opportunities are there within crisis, within whether it's pandemics or whatever it is, what opportunities do leaders have now? I, I think the one, the one uh, capability that every leadership team is absolutely yearning after and that is visibility. How can I get visibility with context on the supply side of my supply chain and on the demand side? Because I want to know, you know, COVID is shutting down plants. If I have a meat plant and there's COVID uh, infected positive workers, I shut the meat plant down. That means 17% of a state's pork production, you know, goes by the wayside, right? So I need to know at all times very accurately what is my available supply? And I need to know in real time when that changes, because I can't make commitments to the marketplace if my supply side visibility is not whole. And on the demand side, I need to know where my demand is. You know, am I in an, an over demand situation? Am I in a demand of, you know, I, I want face masks, not hockey masks. So let's stop making hockey masks because no one's playing hockey right now. And let's make face masks as a PPE for the COVID crisis. Well, I need to know what's happening on the, on the demand side. And then I need a planning process to map this out. So visibility is the absolute crux. If I don't have visibility, leadership teams are flying blind. In terms of the uh, opportunities here, implementing some sort of new technology, new processes, new culture in the business to drive visibility. That would be and a I, huge opportunity. Yeah, and, and I'm going to be very specific because, you know, if you've read any of my pieces, you'll see I talk about, you know, thinking to the customer or patient and solving problems from the patient or the customer back, right? I can plan up the wazoo and get visibility to customers and patients. And I can build in all sorts of safety factors to make sure that the right products at the right place at the right time. But when things go wrong, I want visibility of what went wrong all the way from the shelf or the patient back to supply. And, and I, so the recommendation I make is don't just go chasing after blind technology solutions, thinking if I plug in a control tower, I'm magically gonna know everything and I'm gonna have visibility of the whole business. Put a plan together that said, what visibility do I need and why? And under a VUCA situation, what needs to change in that critical visibility? And then go and look for the technology. Now, let's not just running, run around looking for visibility technologies and whacking them into the business because you're going to cause more chaos than what you had before. You know, you once said to me, uh, one of the many times you and I have spoken about you asked a question once of how many supply chain leaders have, have mapped their supply chain from the customer backwards. Uh, and you were surprised about that, weren't you? Very. I, I, I mean, I think that's changing very fast. I mean, you know, I, I recently, within the last couple of days, saw a great presentation to a leading retail store, and it was a bunch of consultants selling projects and capabilities. And they said, oh, you need more stores and you need control tower. 
and, and I said to the person, I said, do you know how many patients or shoppers are walking out of those retail stores happy and fulfilled and they met their needs? And they said, well, no. I said, how can you be prescribing control towers and digital transformations when you haven't got the fundamental moment of truth right? Which is why am I in this business? I'm in this business to meet shoppers' needs and to give prescriptions to patients. So let's start digitizing and building visibility from the point that moment of truth, as Procter and Gamble calls it. And that's a roadmap. That's a journey. So you know, let's stop. And and that's the point you've just made, which is when you've mapped out all of these processes from those shoppers and those patients going into retail pharmacies mapped out the processes you can start putting a finger on that's where it's broken i worked for a ceo once when you walked into him and you started justifying an it initiative he'd pull out a big map of the business and say show me where you want to put this in that was the ceo of a business right because they know where the weaknesses in a business are and if you go in and you say well we need visibility here or a technical solution there and it's not a priority to them they're going to say no so, so that's why it's so business uh, important to have end-to-end -end understanding of how the business actually operates. And most leaders do, and I think that's changing, but surprisingly, it's not as high as what I think it should be. Well, it, it goes back to, again to the point that you made at the beginning, which is a supply chain that is finance-oriented, you know, versus a supply chain that truly understands what the end goal is in terms of customer service levels, on-shelf availability. Do you think that in a VUCA world, those companies that understand at the core that they are servicing their clients have a better chance of survival than the financially driven supply chains? Absolutely. And there's a very simple explanation. When you really have a handle on your processes, your finance, your assets, you know what trade-offs you're making. So if you as a leader say, we're not, hockey's stopped. We're not making hockey masks. We're going to make PPE masks for hospitals. You know what trade-offs you've just made. You don't have to go figure out what the implications are to the business. I'm not seeing, saying they need to know every last little detail, but they know what's possible and they know what's impossible. And, and I think that it's the leaders who send the business down impossible tasks that cause chaos. And those are the companies that are going to really struggle to catch up and, and, and get back on their feet after the pandemic crisis. So I think before we even start talking about switching mindsets from financially driven supply chains, we need to go back and really identify what is the goal of the business uh, and what is the process from the customer backwards. Um, would you agree to that? Yeah, and, and the process from the customer backwards is really important to go and track and find those issues that are preventing you from servicing the customer because there are so many buffer opportunities when you think to the customer, when you think back from the customer who went to an empty shelf and say, why did this happen? There's gonna be one or two reasons. And that's why the fascinating story for me is a Procter & Gamble who took a billion dollars worth of losses and gave the business back $4 billion because when they walked back from empty shelves to supply, they found problems they didn't even know existed. Let me ask you this, this one last question. Who is this message for? Who is this message for? I think it's predominant to the leaders, right? I mean, all organizations look to their leadership to define the North Star and to make clear what the vision of the organization is. So, so leadership has to make it clear this is what this business is all about. 
But the translation process of that vision and that mission and those goals, the reason for existence, the, the, the aligned translation all the way down to some you know, operator who's running a packaging machine is absolutely critically important because when things change, the leaders tend to see those very quickly, but that you know, poor individual who's you know, child grinding away on this packaging line doing uh, um, packaging and doesn't even know that anything changed, well, you know, they're not going to change the way they work until somebody tells them, hey, why are you making 100? You should only be making 50. So, so the point is everybody needs to hear the supply chain metrics uh, story. And leaders make, need to make sure that metrics from the outside of why the business exists all the way down to the lowest levels of execution in the business, that goals and roles are aligned because that's where dysfunctionality starts. That's what makes businesses not agile and not resilient is when everybody's you know, working to their own agendas and uh, changes are not being communicated and they're doing what they think is right, not as an aligned team starting with the leader. But everyone has to hear this message. And, and I think everyone will. Roddy, thank you so much for participating on FinTV and for uh, enlightening us with some really valuable advice here. Pleasure. It's always a pleasure to work with you, Maria. Thank you. Thank you very much for watching. And for those of you watching on FinTV, see you soon.